This podcast is brought to you by Continuum, proud sponsors of Wessex Wanderers. Hello, listeners. Um, it's me, Trushy, your host for this week. We've got Series 4, Episode 4 of the podcast, and I'm delighted to welcome a special guest for this one. We've got ex-Plymouth Argyle, Rochdale, Brentford, Rotherham, West Brom, Peterborough, Walsall, <laughs> Forest Green Rovers, and that's just to name a few, current Western Supermare striker, Ruben Reed. Welcome, Rubes. Good evening, trust you, mate. You are right? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. Pleasure to have uh, well, our first pro slash ex-pro on the pod. Yeah, delighted to um, join you, mate. It's been, it's taken a while to get me on here. And um, <laughs> yeah, interesting to see what this, what entails, mate. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's quite a coup for us because am I right in saying that you turned down Soccer AM and you turned down the Under the Under the Kosh podcast? Um, there is some elements of truth to that, yeah. Um, a few years ago, when I was, my stock was a lot higher. I should say I had um, I was approached by my agency to basically, would I be interested in attending? the you know the soccer m couch when it was very popular and i just you know at the time it was it seemed quite a daunting request and i just just kind of like nah i don't think it's me and they were talking about boosting up my popularity and like it's good for your profile and things but i just couldn't bear to sort of um even get it you know even stomach being on the couch quite a shy person uh would you believe or not so um in the end decided it wasn't for me and um the end of a kosh one i my current manager just approached me the other day and just got it out there that he'd given one of our teammates um the the lads a number to do it and I just said under no circumstances you you give them my number because I won't be going on you know getting on getting the cameras on me and stuff and talking about myself I find it quite difficult so I said I left that one out but here I am on your your podcast so you've you've uh, swayed the um you've swayed me massively mate to jump on board that's it. We, that's it. You know, turn down the big ones, but we we get you. So what 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 actually made you choose the Wessex Wanderers pod then? I don't think I had a choice, Nicholas. I mean, you know, the the, the constant barrage of texts, calls every time we cross paths, and yeah, when now I didn't have a choice, mate. So in the end, I just gave in, I suppose. So yeah, it's your um, the lure of Nicholas Trutch, yeah. Well, if you think that was pestering, you wait until. 12 months time when that when that western supermare contract's running down you'll see pestering <laughs> so talk, talking of western how's things going down there um currently or in general in general it's been um, yeah both in general i've been it's been a great um it was a really good transition into what i to what i needed in my in the time time of my life and you know winding down my sort of professional full-time career and um, obviously, you know, transitioning out of professional football and going to sort of what you want to do next type thing. So generally in that terms, it's it's really been, I've been really blessed, really. You know, the commute is good. The club is really solid. And um, as, it's that, as it is, the, the team is really good. So from generally, it's been really good. Um, you know, we had a good promotion out of the Southern Premier League that I was able to play a big part in. And now we've we've jumped up a division, and in this season we're just sort of finding our feet and um, trying to really, 
you know, sustain and earn some good, good results, obviously stay in the league at the moment and then hopefully push on really. So yeah, on the whole, Weston's been really good to me thus far. Yeah. 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 Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, so I'll tell you what, I've done a little bit of, um, little bit of digging, a little bit of research. According to my records, you made 24 appearances in the championship, 76 in League One, and 335 in League Two. Does that sound about right? Mm, that is about right, I would say. I thought I got to the 30-ish mark in the championship, but obviously if it's down on paper, it's 24. It's 24. But um, the rest, yeah, on the whole, it it does seem about right, yeah. Well, let's... Let's go. Let's go way back. Let's take it back to where it all began. Let's talk about your um, like your youth football. Where, where, yeah. yeah. What did you do so, as youth football wise? So my journey, my come up was a bit different actually to, um, to the general, you know, footballer. I came into football relatively late, as it were. You know, I was um obviously brought up in Bristol. Um, I went to Ashley Down School in primary, and then I went to Fairfield High School, and you know, I could obviously play football and stuff, but at this time I was, um, you know, a budding cricketer as well, you know, and really sort of developing quite well um, from a cricket sense point of view. So I never actually joined the football academy. And to be honest with you, my dad wasn't keen on me joining, you know, the the Bristol Rovers or the, the Bristol Cities in our in our um, in our city. If anything, I had. Um, I was scouted one time to go to Aston Villa and I attended Aston Villa training. You know, as a youngster, I remember probably being about under 12s to under 13s. But, you know, at that um, at that stage in life and where home life was, just to get up to, like, first of all, the satellite was in Worcester, then to get to Bodymore Heath, it was just too much. And in the end, it was sort of like I was pressing, progressing so well at cricket, but I wasn't, I never went to a football academy. Yeah. So, what what would you what would you say made you stand out as a as a youngster? You know, when Villa were looking at you, was it you know were you more physical than the other kids? Was it your mindset? Was it your your work ethic? I think as a child, you know, you um, or as a youngster, I was I always had the knack. I had I had good physical um good physical attributes, extremely strong. It's a it's a read trait. <laughs> the Reed family, um, you know, one of four brothers and a and a and a solid father. You know, we're all big, strong lads. And um I think it's just probably the ability to I think, you know, the ability to score goals, got a trick in your locker and whatnot. And just the probably ability to produce good moments in football games really in, in terms of standing out. Um and generally if you look at it, you're probably just, you know, better than a lot of the players in terms of affecting the game. And that's just just the way it is, I guess, growing up as a kid, yeah. Yeah. I reckon your Jake's a bit stronger than you, mine. He he shields the ball a bit better. Says who? What, on the, the back of the fiver side that we've been playing? <laughs> <laughs> Jake's a strong boy. He was a handful in his... I've heard... Now I've, I'm playing with a few players that played with Jake now at Western, and they... they um, It's always a, you know, it's a little standing joke that they reckon that he's a better... He holds the ball up better than me. And, um, you know, that... You know, Jake's Jake's got a bit more than you, and I said, mm, "Okay, but I think it's a bit easier to hold off these players than the players I've been holding off." You know, for the yeah. last twenty years. So, um, so yeah, 
Jake went on to have a decent football career himself, didn't he? Was was he at Western as well for a few years yeah, ago? Yeah, Jake, Jake, Jake played. Jake had a very good um, what do they call it? Non sort of non league career. Um, floated about you know the conference, conference South North teams, and yeah, mm. I think he developed his developed a good name for himself that he was like a you know lead the line type of player. Um, can can play it into him and he can nick a goal as well. So. I think anybody getting paid to play football at any level, you've sort of done, you've done all right, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's you know it's most people's dreams to, you know, get whatever you're getting paid to to be paid to do something you love. Exactly. But I'll tell you what. In in conversation with Jake a while back, I told him that I was pestering you to come on the uh, on the Wessex podcast, and he said, "Oh, make sure you <laughs> make sure you ask him about training with Roy Keane." <laughs> How did that come about? Um. So when I was leaving school, I obviously, um, as I said, I was progressing quite well. Um, you know, my foot, when my cricket aspirations and my cricket county was Gloucestershire. So obviously it was like Jake went to Filton College. And I remember the guy, a guy called Simon Hinks, people like this, you know, I owe, I owe a lot to how my life has panned out. Um, he was a cricketer former professional cricketer and he was very um he was associated with the Gloucestershire County uh cricket club and he just asked me what am I gonna do for you know for your secondary education I just said oh like I'm gonna I'll be going to Filton College just like my brother and I remember I'll never forget the words he said to me he just said no 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 we will look after you and with that fast forward like you know a few weeks you know after I've done my GCSEs I was going to Millfield Millfield School which is if you don't know what Milford School is, it's a private school. Um, and it's probably the most prodigious sporting school, you know, in the country, in my opinion, I would say. And I went off the board there to do my A-levels on a on a cricket scholarship, as it were. Now it turns out that obviously, you know, you have to you have to pick a winter sport to obviously do there. And there was obviously the choices were rugby and too much of a I was gonna. Well, I was gonna use some bad language there. No, rugby wasn't really for me. Um, and so the other choice was obviously football. Now, that being said, obviously I could obviously play football, but at Millfield during full time training, just as you, you know, just as you would be at a football club. And I got introduced to a the football head of football there, a South African guy, Terry Atkurst. He actually, you know. The first time I ever been trained or really coached really to play. And um I just developed very fast, very quickly from there. And he was actually saying, No, Rubes, you've actually got a bit like, you know, your cricket. I know you're playing cricket, but you you can play football as well, type thing. And believe it or not, from there I ended up, you know, it's a bit of a funny story, really. I I was there to play cricket and they were hoping I was gonna make, you know, maybe chuck me a few games, make my first class cricket debut at the end of a season. You know, just like a one-off token game. There was whispers of that. But I ended up, in that summer, going to Manchester United um, on a sort of, first a one-week trial. And then after that trial, I got sort of invited back to come in for pre-season. And ended up doing the Milk Cup. So, nice. that is how I ended up in, that's how I ended up in football. Now, the Roy Keane thing, comes about because that was the year when he was he was getting um sort of drifting out of a out of a club and I remember the um the United team went on tour to Korea and when we jogged out 
You know, I was with the reserves slash under-18s, and there wasn't under-23s. It was like under-18s straight into reserve team and then first team. And then, yeah, Big Roy just jogged out with his Deodoras on, mate. And I was like, wow, ah, okay. It's Roy Keane. And, but when you're in that environment, you know, training with them and training with that, that, those players, it's like, you know, after the first day or two, um, you know, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a norm. You know, I remember my the first time I was really starstruck was when I sat down to put my boots on and I just heard a softly spoken voice say, salut. And I was looked beside me and it was Louis Saha. And he's one of the players I really looked up to and I really loved. And I was just like, oh my God, like Louis Saha's touching me, doing his boots up next to me, you know? And um, I was like, nah, this is, that was on my first day at Carrington. And I was like, oh, this is real now, you know? But being amongst them, you know, for that period of time I was there, it just, without sounding like it was nothing, it just became, it was a, it was a normal type thing, you know? Was that where you, where you first realised like, wow, this is, this is the levels, this is where you've got to try and get to? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, at that age, you know, at 16, 17, you know, you're a bit deluded and you're a bit like, you know, you're having yourself a bit and yeah, you've got ability, you're quick, you can go buy players. And to be honest with you, out of probably all my football clubs or whatever I've been at, I think being at that place was probably the most comfortable I've ever been around people. You know, you're, you're brash as a youngster, I'm out there and you're playing with good players. So it brings the best out of you. And I always thought, nah, I never once thought, man, this is too much for me. I was um I was confident and to be honest with you I thought I'd done I'd done really well for at the time. So yeah, I was um it was a massive insight and probably you know that Millfield coupled with you know Millfield was obviously a different level of different level of life and then to obviously go to Man United I say that that period of 16 to 17 years old really shaped who I am sort of today type thing. Yeah. Well, tell us about your first your first big move then? Where where was that? How did it come about? Well, my first big move in terms of... In the end, I didn't end up signing for Man United. You know, there was some... There was some talk of like, you know, um, have we got enough time to develop you to get into our first team as quick as possible type thing? And they decided against um, taking me on I thought there was something political going on with obviously Gloucestershire um, paying my school fees to go to the um, to go to Milford at the time on a scholarship because they were making up the difference obviously because we were we were piss poor as they say there was no way we could have paid the, the, the fees to go to the school and I was always thinking this is weird because I've done really well here and um, in the end I ended up joining um, Plymouth Argyle now Plymouth Argyle were a championship team, but as again, I've gone down to Plymouth, right? And I don't even know the structure of the leagues. I've got, I've rocked up there as like a 17 year old, 16, 17 year old. And I've been like, yeah, but who are we playing? Like, who do we play against? And they, they were telling me, oh, this is a championship. Now, obviously, all I knew was match of the sort of match of the day. And, you know, like I know it sounds so naive, but teams like Millwall and Nottingham Forest, I was thinking, yeah, but what division are they? Because like, it was all about the Premiership growing up. You know, and um, so I ended up signing a professional contract relatively quickly at Plymouth Argyle. And that sort of um, was my, you know, to come out of, to not have any academy football and or have an upbringing in football, then to sign up, you know, a championship team within the space of, 
you know, a few months was, and in, in the end, make my championship debut as a 17-year-old was, things were moving re- quick, very fast, you know. Do, do you still remember that moment, clear as day, that your first full debut? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it was, um. so I signed well, at Plymouth, things moved fast in a sense where, like, I always tell people at making it, you need, you know, you need a lot of luck. You need a lot of timing. And I remember I um, I was playing a youth team game against Cheltenham and Tony Pulis, there was no manager at the club at the time. And Tony Pulis, there was, there was talk of this guy, Tony Pulis coming in. I was like, I didn't even bloody know who Tony Pulis is. Who's his names? But he was going to be our new manager of the first team. I was working with the youth team. I'll, I'll never forget, a ball got clipped over and I took the ball down out the sky and I cut inside and rolled it under. And then as I've looked and the lads are jumping on my back, this new manager and his assistant at the time, um, Desi O'Connor, he, um, I could see them like conferring. And then after the game, the manager of youth team said, oh, the managers have said, you're not with us anymore. You're top pitch now. I was like, oh, that's strange. So top pitch was like first team, second on the bottom pitch because that um, at the training ground, there's, you know, the, the training fields is split into two and the, the first team train at the top. And then they were like, yeah, you're at, you're on the first, you're at the, you're at the top pitch now. And I was just like, oh, okay, wow. So I'm with the first team now. Nice. And then from there I was traveling. I was, you know, made the bench a couple of times and at the end of the season, after being given a professional contract, I made my, um, you know, my championship debut for a Plymouth Argyle legend in Mickey Evans. And um, that was really, obviously, really nice because that was his last ever football game. And, you know, as he jogged off, then my sort of career started type thing. So he, he was a massive legend down there. And I I was his substitute in his final game, you know. And um, something, you know, I'll always, you know, look back on and cherish. Yeah, nice. And you talk, you know, you talk about needing that luck in a career, you know, when, when, when Pulis and his assistant see you bring that ball down and slot it. You know what are the chances you could easily have miscontrolled it or fired it straight at the keeper? Like you say, it yeah, is like that. I mean, when I say timing and luck and things, I'm I'm alluding to things like you know things have to go for you. I mean, I know kids that are far superior to me now that haven't made paid a penny out of the game, and then I know I can say there's guy now there's guys now who are multi millionaires out of the game who don't have anywhere near the things I've got in my locker, you know, and that's that's for many, many players. That goes without saying. But my yeah. story was like, my journey absolutely was, first of all, you know, you've, in that moment, I'd done an action that, you know, someone liked and were like, bloody hell, he's got a bit. Then you then go up into the first team setting and then, you know, you produce something that they like. I mean, I remember my first training session when I went out there and I'll never forget it. I felt, because I was a tubby little boy back then, right? Eating a lot. And I'll never forget, we played like a practice match. And I've got mates here now that, you know, that they were out there playing. They were they were on the first team. So it was reserve team against first team, right? And I'll never forget it, the ball. We played against a guy, Rufus Brevet. You probably remember him. Oh, you big know, centre. Yeah. Long hair. Yeah. Long hair, yeah, I remember yeah. Rufus. Yeah, yeah. The Rufus, right? He's on the reserve team and I've got the French, big French boy behind me, Matt Dumbe. You know, I'm talking like big boy, like muscles, the abs, everything. Good in the shower as well. I'm everything, you know, strong boy, right? 
So, um, Brev has literally wrapped this ball into me, right? And on, when I talk about timing, I've just stuck my leg out and I've got these big size Puma size 13 things, right? With a big foldy tongue out, right? And I stick the ball out, stick my foot out and the ball just sticks on my foot, right? And I'm thinking, wow, all right. Turn Dombe, smashed him out the way. Like literally, he's eating grass. Like God's honest truth, he's eating grass. Roll it to roll it to my strike partner, and he slots it in. So the reserve team now, like the Joeys of the group, who are not going to play on the Saturday. They're like we're one nil up now, and this is on the Friday. This is like for match prep. Next thing, ball out the sky, same thing. Bring it down on my five. For some reason, the ball just sticks on my five, and I get goal side of the lad again, and um. You know, we go 2-0 up in the practice game. With that, and about 10 seconds, 10 minutes into the practice session, Pulis has waved it off. He's gone, nah, boys, seen enough, mate. We ain't got a hope now, type thing. And then <laughs> we're walking here, we're walking down, Um, we're walking down to the, um off the top pitch. And I'll never forget, Brev and a few of the lads, you know, all the, like, us boys who are not going to be playing, we're all giddy because all the first team lads are hammering each other and whatnot. And then I remember Brev put his hand around me, he went, Go and sign your five-year deal, lad. Go in there and tell him exactly what you want. And he was just like, I was like, yeah, I'll have a bit of this. But it's just in that moment, you know, it's just first impressions. And, um, you know, leaving a good impression on people lets, you know, you plant the seed in someone's head and they, they remember you that way. Yeah. Now, the point I'm making is coming around, I know I'm harping on, is that that session, if I go in there in that session and everything bounces off me and I'm weak and I'm pushed over, Pulis looks at that and goes, oh, maybe that goal he scored, which got him up here, was just a one-off type thing, you know? But every day was a time, was a was an opportunity to show yourself and, you know, show them what, what you got type thing. Yeah, definitely. So what was what was the biggest transfer fee you commanded then throughout your career? Um, Probably went on, was it? Yeah, um, obviously I, I moved... I got let go after various loans from Plymouth and I ended up joining Rotherham and I've, I found myself in a settled side um, and the manager there at the time, I wasn't quite ready to lead the line as a centre forward, number nine. So he found a good position for me and I was playing off the right in a, of a three and I ended up getting some really good numbers, you know, played a lot of football that season, got some goals, played well in a couple of Sky games and it, in the end, it ended up with West Brom paying a fee for me. Um... The fee, I think, was it was an undisclosed fee, but I remember when I <laughs> when I was getting the term is effed off, you know, um, by the club because you just haven't produced really. I remember the the technical director saying, "Oh, the the the, man, the chairman's um, chucked the best part of a million quid into this deal, and quite frankly, he's had enough now." This is when we were dis disputing or discussing my pay up, and uh, I was warned not to get his back up anymore, type thing. So, um. Yeah, I, I don't know what the exact figures were, but it was um, it was a solid, it was a solid fee, and um, yeah, uh -huh. at the time the move was it was a good move, you know, and financially anyway, financially well. Yeah. The only thing good was financially in the end, yeah. What what were the sort of the big household names around around West Brom at the time then? Was Ben Foster there at the time? Yeah, Ben Foster. Well, believe it or not, I actually um, Ben Foster turned up at Man United um, when I was at Man United at the time as well. So I remember I played in Ben Foster's first game there. Um, so, actually, do you know what? I've told a big lie there, actually. Ben Foster weren't number one there. My link with Ben Foster was Man United. I've just got two names mixed up. Scott Carson was the goalie there. Right. 
Yeah, Scott Carson, sorry. That's a mistake. Um, yeah, when you said Ben Foster, just twig something. Ben Foster turned up at Man United. I remember played, he was training in the reserve group with us. But Scott Carson was the goalie there, along with um, Dean Kiley. So, yeah, at that time, Scott Carson was, I think he was England's number one at the time. He certainly was around that time, because I remember he was getting a lot of stick that pre-season, because he was blamed for the goal that... Um, he was blamed for the goal that obviously England didn't make the Euros. Do you remember when the guy, I think, he took that long shot and it slipped through? Yeah, Steve that's McLaren, right. the, the umbrella night, when Steve McLaren had the umbrella, Scott Carson yeah. was the goal. But yeah, he was one of the big hitters. I mean, back then, you know, you had Jerome Thomas, um, Chris Brunt, yeah, James Morrison. You know, obviously, Chris Wood was a kid there. Saido Barahino was a kid there at the time. Um, loads of, like, Loads of it know, was. Real... Were, were you, I'm trying to think of the the, the big Swedish centre back who would have been Jonas there. Olsen. Olsen. Who? Jonas Olsen. Jonas, Jonas Olsen. Olsen. That's him. Yeah, lovely guy, man. Really slow as anything, but what a player, man. Good to a lad. But yeah, those yeah. guys. That was um. It was uh. It was tough for me at Albion. Really, I was nowhere near the level. Um, you know, played out of position in terms of when I actually got got onto the pitch. But I remember I was actually, when I made that move, it was it was a weird, um, like if you remember when I, when we first started talking, I said that I was at my most confident again around far superior players. But actually when I went there, I was probably at my lowest point, you know, because the standard was just, I think I'd probably got into a lot of bad habits and um, the standard was frankly too much for me, you know. And um, in the end, I didn't really, I ended up not enjoying it you know, for the first period of time and then not playing. And then in the end, you realise, you know, you're, you're wasting a lot of your, um, you're wasting a lot of time in terms of, you know, your football career and your football progression. So um, in hindsight, now you look back and apart from, like I said, financially, was it the best move for your for your football career? And you'd have to look back and say the way it panned out, it actually wasn't. Yeah. Was Were there any moves that never quite happened that, you know, it came about as a surprise or, you you know, you were really hoping it would go through and it didn't quite go through, anything like that? Oh, loads, loads. There's always, you know, there's always, there's always, what I tell players, there's always contact and hearsay, you know, but when I got to, when I got really experienced in the game, I used to just say to my agent, listen, do not contact me unless they've emailed through a contract or fact, fact through a contract that is there with numbers and figures to sign because the amount of times you know you an agent will call you out of the blue and be like right I've got this for you but I can't tell you what the club is would you be interested and you're like well hang on a minute I'm already signed with an agency um you're gonna have to you'll have to contact because I'm, I'm an extremely loyal person you know if someone I'm not gonna just leave someone who's been helping me for the last few years and just to eat my own food do you know what I mean I'd everyone my agent's got to eat some of that as well type thing so you either split it or or nothing's happening and then when you get to that position you know the move then all of a sudden it peters out then all of a sudden you think you think to yourself well if that club really wanted you they would they'd make it happen type thing you know so there's always there's, there's always a lot of hearsay and a lot of whispers about about what's going on but until it's concrete I never really I would never really take it seriously at all yeah. So you didn't give me any examples of. <laughs> so 
because I could tell you in terms of examples, I mean, so when you're scoring as a striker, right? When you're mm. scoring, you're playing well. Every window, there's a club. So when I was out of contract, at, um, when I finished, I had two back-to-back seasons, 20 goals, 20 goals at Plymouth. And um, player of the season, uh, the, the I got in the team of the year for, for, for the EFL. I was in the top 10 players for the division in the season's running. Nice. That obviously that window going up, coming, becoming out of contract. You've got. I remember I had a list of I would give or take fifty-five clubs. So the whole of League One, the whole of League Two, SPL clubs, and then a handful of Championship clubs, where they've made direct contact to to your agent. Just unfortunate for me. I just think I got the window. We um. We really, you know, we mis miscalculate because I I see that as my opportunity of getting back on, you know, really strong money again and really, you know, cementing yourself as a championship player. And I think that we were we were a bit deluded and or not greedy. I think we read the market wrong in terms of wages and we turned down clubs here and everywhere. And in the end, I found myself out of out of contract and in the end struggling for for a club off the back of having you know, all this interest to the point where, you know, it was going around on social media that I'd, you know, I'd um I'd failed medicals or, you know, mental health was being pushed at that time. I've had a manager, you know, write an article saying for this player to be out of contract, he must have something wrong with his in his head and type thing, which was a bit those things don't help you in in, you know, moving on type thing. So to name individual clubs, like I said, I you know, I had the pick of the bunch in, you know, the League One and League Two handful of you know championship clubs but in the end it didn't materialize so you know there was a lot of um a lot of angst with why you know that didn't happen but you know it, it is what it is I just have to accept it now did, did you ever come close to any moves abroad so when I left when I was leaving um West Brom you, you know I had a I had a couple another story in my story in my career a few failed loan moves as it were you know um and in the end when we got promoted west brom you know everything changes and you know they can start buying players for like millions of pounds not just a million you know invest they're starting to pay players you know 20 grand a week not just five and ten grand a week you know they're, they're um they're really because they want to obviously sustain it and i got i had my review at the start of the year and just basically said you're not going to be named in the 25 man premier league squad you need a season long loan and we'll review it so there was a guy who we signed a Romanian international, Gabriel Tamas, and he, his dad owned a, he, well, you say owned, this, this is the way they put it. He was in highly, heavily involved with a Romanian club. Um, God, I don't, God forbid, I, God, I, I want to remember what the club was called. Because I think I've told you it was Cluj, but I don't think it was Cluj. It was... It was a Romanian club who competed in the Europa League and who was competing to get in the championship. Championship, and um, there we sat down, had various meals with the agent, the middleman, with my British agent, talking figures. And in the end, I was I set, I was set, you know, sorting out bank accounts and everything to like how I'd get paid and whatnot to move to um this Romanian club and obviously, you know, stay in the top flight football and 
in the end, it just it petered out. I know I spoke to the the, um, the technical director at West Brom, and he was just he advised me that listen with these clubs abroad, you can really go missing if you don't not missing missing literally, but you know your career could could really take a hit if you um if you don't go out and perform well. And in the end, I yeah, had you just sort of get forgotten about. I suppose you just out of sight, out of mind. And what was scary for me was when I was leaving, when I got told that I need to find a club, I literally was thought that I was just going to, you know, I'd have at least six or seven, eight championship clubs wanting to sign me. I'd have all of League One wanting to sign me because I'm I'm now leaving a premiership club. Mate, that phone did not ring. That phone just did not ring. It was like there's nothing there. And you were literally like, wow, how has this come to this? I've gone from being one of the, like, the, you know, the um the bright sparks and young players in the EFL to then 18 months down the line, not even having anybody want to take me on on almost borderline a free, you know, a free transfer. And you're just like, you're like, wow, where, where, where are you going type thing? So in the end, I was like trying to, yeah, manufacture a move abroad. So it so happens I was advised to, um, you know, join, join Oldham Athletic at the time. Um, they were they were flying high in League One, and it was said that oh, if you manage to get Ruben Reed in, you know we would um we you definitely get to get into the championship. Um, you know he's going to come in. He's a he's a good player. Like he's going to do his bit. Well, I scored two goals in twenty appearances. <laughs> we dropped out the playoffs and finished probably mid table or something when I turned up. So yeah, that didn't go so well either. Um, but again, hindsight, you know, is. It is what it is, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose with any career, you're going to look back and 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 think that went well, that didn't go so well. You know, questioning choices and stuff. But did yeah, did absolutely. you um did you meet any like really big characters throughout your career? Characters all over the place, man. Every there's a lot owners, managers, players, ex players. It's rife with them. You know, who, who, um, who's the sort of the real like, the you know the bonkers ones where you think, oh, they're they're just like I imagined. Um, put me on the spot here. We had a known at Peterborough, one of my loans, a Barry Fry. You know, proper old school. Oh, was, um, yeah, Barry Fry was um, he was a bit of a character. He was into some. I don't want to say the wrong term here, but he was into some dealing. He would he know how to get a deal done in his way and and let it go his let it go in his way type thing. He had the strongest handshake ever as well. You try and break your hand. So Barry Fry was there's been so many. It's it's hard to really it's hard to really just name reel off names, you know. I'd have to I'd have to think. But um, you know, football's football's rife with, with these people. I've come across, you know, twenty years and like almost twenty clubs. I've um I've come across across quite a few. I think actually thinking about it, I I remember from a, a previous chat we had, you told me about Barry Fry. Didn't he didn't he try signing you once or twice and it didn't go through and then eventually he got so, him? Yeah, I, yeah, well I was the season officer of Rotherham, Peterborough were one of the main were one of the front runners for my signature. And um didn't get me. It so happens I went to West Brom, but then six months later I ended up going on loan anyway. You know, it was a good opportunity to Get out, get and play championship football. Let's just say it was another loan move that didn't go so quite so well. And my debrief was um my debrief was bad with Baz was 
yeah, it was quite brief and quite blunt, to be honest, um, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think after, you know, like after not doing so well at West Brom, you'd think, well, at least I'll have Peterborough to go to. But then obviously, like I said, you have the loan move that doesn't go well. Then all of a sudden, that's another good option that's sort of taken away from you type thing. Jim, Jimmy Bullard once still at Peterborough then, was he? He, he would have gone on to Wigan, I suppose. I wasn't with Jimmy Bullard, no. No. Uh, not, no. So, like, throughout your, throughout your career, who would you say were your sort of... What what you'd say to people that was a good club, and the opposite end of the spectrum, like oh, what a ter- what a terribly run club. Ooh, this is a tough question, man. I don't want to throw shade on anybody. I can I can tell you times where I've had difficult moments. Um, I think when I went to Rotherham, I didn't really understand much. I was on trial, so I, I left Pit. I left Plymouth on. On, you know, I just had just got car driving. You know, I had my had some fresh Audi A3, and then in the up ended up didn't have a club. I always think I was, I borrowed some money from a mate down in Plymouth, one of my good mates, just to like make a payment on the A3. You know, and um, when I went to Rotherham, I didn't even realize like we were facing administration. We had an eighteen point deduction or whatever, and then it was. It was only now I look back and think, wow, that was, that was, um, that was, that was like, you know, you're in, you're in touchy moments. And the point I'm making about the money was when I signed there, it was just such a relief just to get a deal, just to get a deal there on trial. And then I was able to like, you know, pay my mate back the money and then obviously start earning some all right money myself. And, um, I remember turning, overturning that 18 point, um, that 18 point deficit and then obviously getting in the positives and staying up was amazing. Um, one of the, a good story was um, obviously I've gone to Plymouth now and signed for Oldham and um, you know, so I'm, I've just had a payoff. I've been earning good solid money for the last two years. So for money wise, I'm not really like, I'm like, I've got things going out. I don't really check my bank account type thing and whatever. And uh, it gets to like day three after day four, after like, um, you know, uh, pay payday as it were, and there's a few like concerned faces, and like people are going, "Yeah, have you checked? It's, it's not gone in yet. It's not gone in." And I'm going like, "Do you mean not's gone in?" And he goes, "They're like, oh, wages ain't been paid again." And I'm like, "What do you mean again?" They're like, "Yeah, this happens every month," oh. and I'm just like, "Ah, okay, this is strange." So I go and you know go and check my balance, and there's there's literally no wages in my account from from Oldham. I'm going. Hang on about, hang on about here. So I um, I go and do some digging then for the next week, and I'm like, "What's going on, boys?" Here, and he go, "Yeah, every month cash flow problems. There's we get paid late every month type thing," and it was really just put into perspective. You know, boys were having to um, you know, borrow money off people and um, and whatnot. And I remember, to be honest, our manager at the time, Paul Dickoff, he'd done one of the most admirable things. He was a bit big time with it as well, though. We'd say, oh, if you need any of the boys need any money, come to the Bank of Scotland. Oh, you know, I'll pay all your mortgages and whatnot. And then at the end of the um, month, just literally, when you do get paid, just put it back in my account. And he was true to his word. I think there were boys who went and um, it gives you such a good perspective on, you know, the real like levels of like lower league football, you know. You know that like not every pizza, there are guys who are living literally month to month, you know, and they were 
you know, he lent them that money, and then you know when they when it when them when the wages did come in, they um they he paid it back. Yeah. So I think club wise, clubs that are not being run pro- properly in terms of like you know finances, those are the ones where you're kind of worried about. Like, are you are you actually going to get paid or you know you know type thing? Some of the the good run clubs, I always think about. I always think about Exeter. What a club that is. Um, very good business model in terms of, you know, when I was there and the manager was there, he can attract like quite high profile players. And because he was a really good guy and a good manager, he's able to keep him down there. You end up enjoying your football. Um, Cheltenham Town, loved my time, even, even though it was probably one of the worst times personally in my life. Um, you know, Cheltenham Town, I look back and just think, what a solid run football club. You know, always going to be a nice place to be, a nice training ground, and just a good place to work, really. Um, but then, you know, I can't, I can't really allude to. I don't want to throw any shade on any of uh, of the other poorly yeah, run no. clubs. You know, yeah, um, I respect that. But um, maybe it's a conversation for another day. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe on yeah less public platform, less maybe. Public platform. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you talk, you talk about what like what Paul Dickoff did as as a manager and and. Yeah. How much that that meant to you and and teammates? Who who are some of the the best managers you've worked under? You know so, that goes twofold, really. So who who you who you just really liked and really liked playing for, and and also who was really knew their stuff. Um, I think for me, it's like good managers are only. I think you can define them two ways, really. Did you do well for them personally, or did the team team do good? So invariably, everybody, if you if you play and and you play well, invariably a player will say, "Yeah, he was a good manager," or whatnot. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you don't, they're off. They're often people are often quite bitter, and they start. You know, they will, you know, say bad things about the manager and his methods or whatever. But I was just always, I always managers who. I've done well for were sort of managers who just got me on the pitch really you know played me and then played to your strengths is all you is all you what you really want or need as a player and I think I clicked with people who really pushed me to the limits really and asked a lot about for me I think I like the manager to give me a lot of responsibility and then when I wasn't doing well was able to tell me that and tell me to my face not in a sneaky way so I look back at where I've had the most success and I'd say Plymouth Plymouth Argyle under a manager called John Sheridan, you know, a Leeds and Sheffield Wednesday legend, like top, top, top player. If we're talking about players now, we're talking like the Luka Modric of his era type thing, you know, maybe mm-hmm. that level type thing. And um, this guy was just the nastiest, horriblest, vile human being you could ever wish to play under you know he would call me he would abuse me call me every word under the sun um make you feel so small but then saturday saturday three o'clock you're playing and he's telling every single player to pass it to ruben you know he's telling everybody don't nobody do anything just pass it to ruben and let him take his make his own decisions and things like that you know how could i fail playing under manager like that and it just gave you the responsibility where, like, number one, you're getting a chance to play and show yourself. Number two, he's telling players to give you the ball so you can 
like again, it's it's chance, isn't it? You're you're out there getting on the ball, and he's he's setting the team up for you. You're just getting abused along the way whilst whilst you do it, you know. Yeah, um, it, just, it almost sounds like a, a strange sort of reverse psychology man management technique, doesn't it? Yeah, like re- really yeah, fire you up, and then for me, I think I think for those old school guys, you sink or swim. Really, there's a lot of guys. You know, my best mate in football now, um, he did suffer under him really, and he speaks very. Like tactically and and like our training methods weren't like weren't they weren't the tactics weren't very good. I wouldn't even say I would say probably the team underperformed in a way, really, with the players we have. I mean, we made the playoffs twice and and whatnot. And we managed to, we stayed in the league the first year. But then I've played under more, you know, tactically astute managers and more tactically aware managers, but then I've had Will in, you will in 18 months' time when you join Wessex. <laughs> <laughs> then I've had to then, probably my games suffered a bit because I've had to play in a structure or play in a certain way that's not, that hasn't allowed me to be free. So I look up somewhere like, for example, you know, playing in a Paul Tisdale team, for example, or, you know, a Michael Duff team, you know, real like tacticians and people who set their teams up in a certain way. It's not just go out there and just, do what you want type thing and who gets better of each other on the day wins. It's like, you have to stay in your slots. You know, you can't really express yourself type thing. And, um, you know, even though you, you end up doing all right, you're not really getting the best out of what, you know, what you think you could do as a footballer type thing. That was just a personal experience. You know, everybody else, like I said, people say managers are good if they're doing well or they're playing or they say they're rubbish if they're not playing, you know, type thing. That's just a general footballers thing. Yeah. If you had to pick like one dressing room for your whole career where like it was just the best dressing room ever, like everyone was together, there was a good vibe, you were doing mm. well, like what, which one would that be? I've, I've got to say the story at Exeter, really. The, yeah. the Exeter story was, it was, could have been some achievement. Um, to put into context, we, um, Ooh. Bringing back some tough memories here. We um, so I turned up at Exeter. The team hadn't. I was out of contract. This is when I told you I turned down loads of moves for these clubs. Was out of contract, and Paul Tisdale got in touch with me. It's about three months into the season, and I've not got a deal. And um, I'm thinking this is a bit strange now. Anyway, I meet Paul Tisdale in the pub, and he goes, "Look, I want to do. I want to do a deal. I've got. I've got major issues in my team. We can't win at home. We're a good team away, and the team hasn't." We're like bottom. We're like bottom two. Facing relegation coming to Christmas. So I turn up and um, we're just on this emotional roller coaster because of the two guys. Um, we're meeting at Gordano Services in a car school and we're travelling down with four, three other Bristol-based players. And it so happens that the two boys would mind me saying the two lads had lost their mums relatively relatively um close together at the start of the season like complete bolts out of the blue one of them was anyway and um it was just a story of you know like us being together in that moment we're traveling down um and i really believe that that group us four and our characters we really brought that group together we had a really good blend of older characters and younger characters there some really good players and um coming round to why the season that it was so good we just we ended up going to Wembley at the end of that year, man. Like, literally, we 
we hit a run of good form. We we were renowned for one of the best teams in the league. We had some really good players, and um, we were we went from like the bottom of the division come the end to, to the playoffs, um, and yeah, get into the final at Wembley. And I look back and I just think it was because of the personalities and the group, along with the manager and the staff, as to why we could achieve something like that. So I'll always look back at that year as a very very fond. One time, definitely. Exeter City going um, and I know anybody who wears the green side will probably throw loads of abuse at me for saying this, but I can only say it is what it is. You know, I loved, I loved both my times at you know for the green side and the red side, but in isolation, personally, that year at Exeter was, I always hold dear to my heart. For, for like for the question you asked for the group and the team, it was a um, you know, a lot went on that year. For a number of reasons, and to be able to come through yeah. and get to a Wembley final at the end of the year was, I always look back and say, if I if I could have I could have stayed in that changing room, put it this way, in that routine, for the rest of my career, hundred yeah. percent. I, I was very I was very settled. Yeah. Any um any funny stories like teammates or or managers, throughout your career? Ooh. You're gonna think I'm boring now here because I'd have I'm not prepped, man. I'm not prepped. Um, <laughs> stories. The thing is with funny stories, I've got to swear and I've got to do mannerisms and I've got to do, uh, to you know, to set the tone and to set the scenario. Um, let's just say, man, you've there's a lot of stuff that goes on nights out, man. Things that you wouldn't believe, you know, um, yeah. nights out, you know, like the, the Christmas of, parties. Christmas parties, there's a lot of stuff going on with people's other halves, what people have to do to get away with stuff. You know, it, it all goes on as a football. And again, this could be um we could leave those stories for an, for a more X-rated, an X-rated show podcast. Yeah. And um or or a personal yeah, well, well, but to put me on the to, to put me on the spot right now and tell you some funny stories, like I said, I'd have to um there's 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 a lot going on, but I'd have to um I'd have to really set set the tone really and get into it to be able to explain to you. Yeah. Um, you know I don't want I don't want people to be um listening to this and rolling their eyes going bloody oh yeah that was funny not yeah. something <laughs> you know you'd have to you'd have to see it and I'd have to get into the story to explain it in intricate details as to why it's funny. Yeah. Um, but we've had um we've had stories involving poo. You know, things like we've had one lad at Yeovil who was classy, um, Luke Ayling, and um I'll tell you this story. Luke, Luke, Ayling, Luke Ayling, he was at he was at City, wasn't he? City Leeds. Oh, Leeds so yeah. one of the lads, one of the younger lads. Yeah, he's a, so Luke Ayling, Gavin Williams, mad Welsh lad. This is just one story off the top of my head, what these guys can get up to. Um he's gone uh he's left a um oh, can I have your flat for the summer type thing? Because the lad's gone home. Gav's gone back to Wales and the lad's staying in Yeovil and Gav's gone, yeah, mate, take the key. Like, you've got eight weeks of fun, like a young lad. So he's in the West Country doing what he's doing, like, living in his flat. Anyway, the lad has banter, leaves a big, big pony in his in his hallway for when Gav gets back from pre-season, just like, you open your door and there's a, you know, he's just taking a few toilets, <laughs> like, in the hallway, as you do type thing, not. Anyway, Gav... um opens the door and he's confronted by this pile of poo, right? So Gav and Luke go, all right, well, we'll if that's how you want to play it, that's how you want to play it. So the lad turns up into preseason and he's come back in his new golf 
his new bloody GTI or whatnot it is. And uh, Gav's gone, he's seen him. He goes, oh, all right. Gav told me, as it goes, he's had a big brekkie. He's had a big fry up. We've trained in the morning. He's not, he's gone to Roofs. I really needed to go. He's gone to the double session. I really needed to go now. He's had a big lunch. And he's only gone and nicked the geezer's keys, taken a dump in his car, and he has picked up. He, he's he's seen the poo in the guy's seat, right? And he's like, "Now this isn't good enough. I'm not. He's took it too far." So he's ended up picking up the poo, right? Trudge, I swear to God. And he's rubbed this poo in the vents on the steering wheel, oh, on the, the vents <laughs> through like. The speedometer, the dashboard, everything. It's gone everywhere. And it's like literally the guy come back to his car. And yeah. Like I said, you'd have to see it to even picture how how it is done. But this is the sum of a the nastiness that these boys get up to. Not my cup of tea, but um it's all banner, I suppose. Yeah. Poo poo banner. Weird, <laughs> weird weird stuff. So talking of some of like your your past teammates and like, who 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 were some of the some of the players you played with when you when you look back and think what a player? Oh man, players that left an impression on me. Mm. Let's go through the clubs, eh? Um, well, start, start, with... start with West Brom. There there must have been some serious ballers when when you turned up training at West Brom. Let's let's go players. So I'm bearing in mind I'm not playing at West Brom, right? So I'm in a bomb squad. Yeah, so the bomb squad is something like, like again, lads that don't play. I'm going out in, into Panache in Bristol, right, on a Saturday, and I'm with my brother, and I'm flying back to, to training on a Sunday morning to train because if you don't play on a Saturday, you got to train, right? And I've got like Graham Dorans in my bomb squad. I've got um, Abdullah Mate, Ivory Coast International, you know, in the bomb squad. I've got um, whoever it is who has not played is playing, and I've got a guy there as well. A guy called Borja Valero. Now you need to look at this guy. If you Wikipedia, oh, Spaniard. He he went on to have a good career after he left West Brom. Villarreal right. was it? Villarreal into Milan. Um, so Borja, right? He can't play. He he can't make West Brom's team because the game. He's just a technical, like a beautiful footballer. But obviously, in a in a British game, you've got to run around, slide into the hoardings to be granted be worth anything, right? So, I kid you not, like. Borja, we'd walk out to training and he's not speaking. He's not speaking English very well, but he's looking me up and down as if to say like, and he used to call me Reed, Reed. He'd read, read, he used to call me. Um, and I swear he had this look on his face and he'd be like almost pissing himself going, how am I training with you, Reed? Like, look at me, look at my standard. <laughs> like, You're half cooked, you're half baked and I'm training with you and I'm like, it was just funny, like that standard of player. I'm just going like, wow, this guy is so like, he's so nice. Graham Dorans was the one for me. Like he was a bit of an unknown quantity where he didn't start off in the team, but in the end he, he got into it. And he was like, listen, when I'm talking like nutmegging people, whipping it in, chopping people. put And he went on to have a really good time at West Brom. Didn't, didn't go on to get probably the big move that he deserved pol through politics, but Dorans, Valero, uh, Jerome Thomas was class. Um, if you remember him, he was really good at Charlton growing up. When like yeah, winger, back, yeah, back in the day, like if he 
if he had sort of end product, as it were, I'm I'm convinced he would have had international honours because he just, you know, him on the left wing, you give him the ball. Players like him, really, he was... um. Was he on Arsenal's books as a kid? Arsenal books on the kid, as, as a kid, yeah. Then, obviously, he started off at Charlton and then we, like people like him, we became, you know, good good mates for life, really. Um, we don't speak as much as we should do now, but um, spent a lot of time with him and he showed me a lot of a lot of growing up, but not always for the right reasons, Nicholas. You know, not always <laughs> for the right reasons. Yeah, but yeah, West Brom. You know, there there was, you know, there was international standard players there. They were um, they were um lads. You know, when we come back into preseason, they just played in the World Cup, so a very very high standard of football. Yeah. What about opposition? Players, are, are there any players that stand out when you when you know you come up against them and for what a player? So you know someone that marks you at the game or. I think yeah. I my my I got a good story to tell that you know, which made me realize realize levels is that when I went to Rotherham, you know, I um there was an Irish, um he was he was past his peak now, so he was a guy called um Gary Breen, yeah, and I remember I'm there playing off the side centre back. He played in. He was a Republic of Ireland international and um, played for Wolves, I think, growing up. And I'll never forget our coaching and our players. It's the old adage of like, oh, he's a, he, he's old, his legs are gone. You will run him like you're running. You'll destroy him tonight. I tell you what, that guy, he smashed me so hard. I'd never just, because of just now, I knew what he was doing. You know, every time I was, um, I thought I was gold. Every time I thought I could get goal side or get in the channel, he was already there his timing, his reading of the game. And I remember him just looking down at me as I was just, as he put me on the floor again, or like just like ushered me out of the play or ushered the ball out of play. He was just like, like, yeah, it's just a, it's a different level for you, lad. And that was like, he was playing for Barney at the time. But that made me realise then you're going to, you can't just rely on, you know, you like your speed and your power. You've got to bring a bit more into it in terms of like your brain and, and how you think and whatnot. So that was, um, that was a good insight into, you know, obviously setting the levels of, you know, of these players who played at a higher level. Because all the other donkeys in the division, you were just literally like barging them out of the way. But this guy was literally using his brains. Yeah, fair play. Well, I don't know. I, I take it you're an avid, avid subscriber to the Wessex podcast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so you. So you'll know that um something that we we do with our our guests is um we have we run through their they they pick their their favorite eleven that they've played with. Yeah. Have you have you given yours any thought? No, I can just freestyle. I'm winging this whole podcast anyway. You know, trying to not be yeah. too boring. But, um, I can only on, share let's... a few. I can only share some experiences. Right. Have you do, got my do you, know what, do you know what formation you're playing? It's. <sighs> Well, what should we do? We could either do a four-three-three or a four-four-two. But how? I can get more players in probably in a four-three-three, maybe. Let's go for it. Let's start from the bat then. Who's your um? Who's who's your keeper? So I'm not going to necessarily pick my team based on who I think was the best player, or I'm going to have players who were done well for me and players who I thought. You know, we had we spent time together because it's no good me saying, 
oh, Roy Keane, because I played 45 minutes worth of football with him and trained with him for three or four months, you know. It's no good me putting someone like that in. So I'll pick players who, who I liked and who I thought done well for me at the time, yeah? Does that make sense? Sounds good. Sounds good to me. So, number one, a lad I spent a lot of time with and he was a great, great human being. Unfortunately, he was involved in an horrific incident and I don't want to put any shade on him or whatever or, or bring that to light. But Luke McCormick, I think Luke McCormick at that time without whatever happened, happened, um, would have went on and really, really kicked on and had, he would have played at a much higher level than he ended up doing. And um, it was just unfortunate that he was involved in, you know, something quite horrific. Um, that's not here nor there. But um, that's a story or, uh, or, you know, I don't want to involve that in what we, you know, me picking my team. But yeah, yeah great human being, really looked after me in a moment, in moments where, you know, he, he touched me with an act one when I was a kid growing up. And, you know, things like that stay with you. And so, and he was a great goalie. Like, he was a massive part of my success being, a, believe it or not, playing from goalie because he could kick it a country mile and land it straight on my chest. So, I was always... Which club was that at, Rube? That was at Plymouth we played together. Yeah. So, Plymouth, I played him at Plymouth round one. And then, when I came back to Plymouth all those years later, um, he came back to the club and then he became the number one for the few seasons I was there. And he, he, was, um, he was a goalie who... He would make match-winning saves. Could kick it well. He was a, a solid all-rounder. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. What about what about right back? Right back. So I'm going to pick this lad because of my success at Plymouth. I honestly believe he was a massive part of it, and he was a right back called Kelvin Mello. I'm not even sure if he's got a club now, actually. He had a good football upbringing at Crew. Kelvin Mello. The thing I liked about Kelvin Mello, yeah. So not a household name, but he's had a good career in sort of the lower leagues. And um, the reason why I like Kelv was simply because he his ability just to give you the ball nicely, soft, the right weight. The amount of times he cut the ball back to me when he got to the byline, I'd have a free shot at the goal. You know, we had a good understanding. He wouldn't try to do too much. All right, he got exposed, probably defending a bit. But on the ball and his and his general play, I loved playing with Kelv. And my time at Plymouth, I was borderline playing, you know, right wing forward, even though we we're in a two. So we'd always be on the side of the pitch together. And um, yeah, I I just loved playing with him. He, he he'd give me a lot of the ball a lot of the time. Yeah, fair. Kelvin Miller, let's, um, right back. let's work our way across the back. At four. Let's go with your centre backs. Centre back, I would I want to put in a lad called Curtis Nelson. The reason why I put Curtis Nelson in there is because number one, he was a young kid who ended up being our captain at tender years. He was the best athlete I'd ever worked with. And he even though I'd haven't had a number of years on him, I was able to learn from him in a sense well about you know, the importance of looking after your body and whatnot. And even as a kid, he was teaching me things like, you know, terms like hydration, um, you know, SNC, strength and conditioning. I'd never even touched a weight playing football until I'd come across this kid or after one of my injuries. And then I started lifting weights and then I became a much better athlete for it. He went on to, he was 
he was a centre back who was, you know, strong, commanding, technically not great, but um I think at that age he left an impression on me for his personality and who he was and you know his performances and his ability to sort of get the best of who he was and whatnot. And he's gone on now to earn have a good career and get good contract at Cardiff. I think he's at Blackpool now. And just a generally, you know, a good kid. Where was it where was it you played with him? Um Plymouth again. Plymouth. Yeah. Who who partners him at centre back then? Um not fair to leave people out, but again, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick somebody who um who you know you leave an impression and create create a relationship with. There was a lad at Rotherham. So when I joined Rotherham, I go to, to a club. Uh, I turn up to a guy. Um, turn up with a guy. Sorry, Pablo Mills. Um, big, solid dude, and me and Pab. He was a. <laughs> Pub's right was Tubby, right? <laughs> Tubby, to say the least. <laughs> he looked worse in a football kit, but he wasn't on the side of athletic, let's just say. But Pub's could play football. Technically, so Pub's would literally go up front in small-sided games and do overhead kicks. Like, he'd outscore the strikers. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I think I look back at that group at, um, at Rotherham and to why, why a kid like a a kid from Bristol can go up and do well in like a, a town like Rotherham and do well is because of a character like, you know, Pablo Mills and the other boys in that age group. But he was at the forefront of, you know, taking me under his wing, looking after me, making me feel comfortable. And, um, and yeah, basically just, you know, I, 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 I looked up to him as a player and I looked up to him as a person really. And we had a lot of fun in that year I was in Rotherham. And I think he was at the, he was at the forefront of it. Yeah. Fair play. Left back? Left back? You know, I thought of a left back earlier. Let's go for my clubs. Let's, let me just look at my phone a sec. Because I had a left back here and he was really good, but I just can't remember him at the moment. Left the um, last impression. Left the last impression, right? <laughs> Mate, there's been so many clubs. How can I... How can I... Um, how can I remember them all? Right. So Plymouth... Brent. Ah. Oh, there he is. Craig Woodman. Yeah. Craig Woodman. So <laughs> Right, this is why I don't remember this is a prime example why I didn't remember him. Because imagine not remembering him just for the sake of who he is as a personality. The most laid back human being. Um <laughs> this guy was exempt from fines, he's exempt from Christmas dues. Boardline team meetings, he'd miss anything to do with the club, miss anything because it was it was Woody, right? So the most laid back human being you'd ever wish to meet. But wow, how reliable was this guy? And I played with Woody at two places actually. I played with him at Wickham. Quiet, unassuming human, but could just play football. Knew how to serve a striker, even down to his throw-ins. He had every club. He could zing it into you, he could drop it into you. He could, you know, clip it into you. Talk about somebody who looks like he can get ran. Would never get ran in a game, you know. But you just know, come Saturday, Woody's playing, you know. Wouldn't train particularly well. Would, wouldn't even get involved in any of the club banter. But when you get him on the field, he just, he ain't letting you down. And I, I just think someone like Woody, like, 
when I look back now, you're just like, oh, what you'd give to have Woody on his pitch now, you know, just giving you that ball or giving you that throw and if you just take it offline and, and produce something. So, yeah, Craig, Craig Woodman, that's my back four. I like how you've talked, you know, that, that's the striker in you, talking about you know, picking your fullbacks on how good their, their delivery is to you. Oh, mate, that's to me, I always I always needed to have people who could because I was a very I'm a very static player as it were. You know, I'm not gonna because of my mold and my way. I'm not gonna dart around and affect games of football. So I need the football served to me in a particular way. And Woody and Woody more so than Kelv, but Kelv was very good. But Woody was just a different level. He'd know how to leave it like safe side. He'd know how to drop it into you to give you the best chance. You know. If there was a chance to put me in on goal, we'd make eye contact, I'd double move, and he'd go in behind, or he could just roll it into my feet, and I would, I would take care of it, you know. So, um, from that point of view, yeah, it was fullbacks were very, um, I was very connected with a lot of the fullbacks I played. So all the lads who were head down charging about, I never really got on with from a fullback, yeah. um, from a fullback point of view. Anyway, yeah. So your midfield, what are you? What are you? Are you playing like one holding and two either side, or two two holding and, yeah, and a, attacking four, mid? Three. Let's go four three three. This is difficult, mind. This is really difficult. Who's your midfield general then? Let's put Yusuf Malumbu in there. Oh, yeah, he he loved to tackle, didn't he? Purely four. I got to look at Malumbu for the come up because of who he was and how he got into the team and then created himself. So he was just a young French Congolese kid, just like who ended up really developing quick. And I think at West Brom, the, the club allowed you to do that. You know, they were a team that like you could make a name for yourself and kick on if you done and sign people who were quite not household names, but then you could like kick on type thing, if that makes sense. And um, Malumbu, he more than done that. And just, listen, just for the pure banter factor as well, not only was he a good player, but the way he walked, the way he, the way he conducted himself as a lad was just, um, you know, I remember my first, I remember uh, one of my first instances with the group, we were all throwing banter around. I'm, I'm in an A3 and um, all the lads have got ranges and souped up RS8s or whatever and whatnot. And, uh, I piped up and said something, and he just shut me down. He just said, hey, hey, Rube, 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 before you talk to us, sir, you change your car, change your car. And I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, wow, like that, yeah? So, uh, yeah, with that week, I went and bought a S4 or whatever it was just to feel part, like, and then for some reason, they accepted me then because I, you know, I had like a 50 grand car as opposed to my, you know, piece of rubbish A3 that they thought wasn't good enough. But he was... um. He was a funny lad and a very good, a very, very good player. You know, again, he was one that I thought would have had an opportunity to kick on and, and go on and get um get one of the bigger moves, you know. I think he got linked with Arsenal at some stage, but it didn't really materialise. So Malumba will be holding. Definitely. Who goes in there with him then? So then I would probably play... I could have gone two fours and a ten, but I would probably play... Two number eight. Yeah, I would play number eights. Um, I want to put in. 
A guy called George Boyd. George Boyd. Yeah. Over he was at Hull for a little bit, I think. Boyd Boyd he went to Hull be, um after playing at Peterborough for years. And he had long hair. Why, Did he have long hair? Long hair. Long hair. So <laughs> the reason why I put in someone like George Boyd is because again, you know, when you talk about the level of players, people that leave an impression on you, he's one that like Peterborough, it was like struggling championship team but he was one of the lads who who like had the genuine x factor if that makes sense like his running gait his running style he could weave he could chop and i think he had some ridiculous stat of like until he got the um yeah the bad stomach one time he had like a mad crazy stat he started about 200 and something games in a row and um he was one his his ability and just Obviously, he goes on to hole and stuff and whatnot and doesn't quite hit the same levels. But when I was there in that period of time with him, he was one of the ones who stood out and just thought, you just always just say to yourself, yeah, do you know what? This kid's got a bit, to be fair. You know, he could he could play elsewhere type thing. And um, I just liked his style. That, he was a bit of a grunger, I think. You know, long hair, bit of a jitter type lad. But then you get him on a football field, you know, look like a skater dressed, wore weird clothes. But then you get him on a football field and he's just ripping people up. Um. So that was always that was interesting. Mm. So who, who else joins him in the midfield then? Mate, I've just tactical. It's tactical because something's just come to my head. I've got to make a point. Um, I'm going to play two fours and Boyd in the ten. Okay. So number four, I'm going to put a kid in here. Again, and we're talking about impressions and someone I spent time with was a guy called Ethan Ampadu. Um, Ethan Ampadu. Ethan Ampadu. The reason why I put Ethan Ampadu in there is because of how I seen this young man conduct himself against a group of really experienced footballers as a fourteen slash fifteen year old. And I, I kid you, you not, right? Where did you play with Ethan Ampadu then? He was at Exeter. Was it? Oh, of course he was. Yeah. Yeah. So Ethan Ampadu, before he got a move, before Chelsea bought him, he played. He was literally coming into training in his school blazer, getting permission to school, train school, uh, train with us from school, and literally coming and training with us. And I'm I'm telling you now, 15 years of age, like nothing to him, wiry as hell, mind. He was literally the best, the best player. And I'm not talking like skills and technically not great, skill not great. It's just. He was literally like a, he was literally like 600 games deep personality in like a 15 year old boy. If, if there's a warm up, he's at the front of the warm up. If there's a run, he's at the front. In the keep ball, he's calling for the ball. He's asking for it. He's never giving it away. He's, and, he, and he's still at school at the time. He's still at school. I mean, we're doing set pieces and set pieces are kind of like the day before the game. You don't really want to have a head injury or anything or, in the Friday, I mean, I'm trying to take this ball in nicely and just set my set my um set my stripe uh, my midfield or whatever to bang a shot in the small sided. Mate, I'm getting taken out. I'm looking behind me, ready to have a row at like my centre back. It's like Ethan. I'm going, Ethan. What are you doing, lad? He's like, shut up and get on with it. I'm going, <laughs> hey. I'm going what? But I was just like, yeah, yeah. I'll have a bit of this. 
I'm talking like, couldn't run him. He, he tackle you and then start going up the field and piecing it together. And Tiz was, Paul Tisdale, the man at the time, was really cute with him. You know, he was like, there were certain games he'd play in. So like some of the big games, he'd like, right, this is a game for Ethan. So at that year when we were going up, Don, he were one of the good, Doncaster was one of the good sides. And then out of the blue, you'd see Ethan's name on a team sheet. And then he'd, you'd, you'd think to yourself, is this going to be too much for him? Nah, you just go out there and just, just run the show. Literally, against a, against a striker who's played like 400 league games or whatever, like a big bruiser, Ethan with his crazy dreads, like crazy hairdo, like literally leaping over him, just winning the headers. Like, literally taking the mick out of him. And you're just going, at 15, 16, I'm just going, wow. And then obviously he goes on, gets his move, and he's on whatever he's on now. You know, he's gone on at 50, whatever, played in the... Euros, plays for Wales, things that lead now, but a really nice kid as well. Come from a really lovely family, so he'd have to get in there just because just because of who he um who he was. Yeah, thing, you know? yeah he's, he still must be pretty young now. He's only got to be sort of yeah, yeah, early yeah. early mid twenties. Early twenties, max. I think he's at Leeds now, so hopefully he finds a home for him and can just you know really um kick on as yeah. it were yeah right wing uh, well I'll tell you what first of all are, are you putting yourself in there um I can't because it'd be lopsided actually I could do but then I'd miss out we'd, we'd miss out on somebody yeah I go on put, yeah leave you, you, you could be the um the sub I'll be the sub so right wing um gotta get my clubs up again clubs up again so right wing, who would I put right wing? Gosh, this is tough now. I'm gonna have to um, I'm gonna work for my, I'm gonna work left to right. Okay, that's all right. Yeah. Um. So left wing, I'm gonna put a lad called Ollie Watkins, who's doing quite well at the moment now. Oh, yeah, um, just a bit. Yeah, Ollie Watkins, obviously pushing for England honours. Um. Uh, uh, doing well in a good Aston Villa team. The reason why I put Ollie in there was just obviously his performances, day in day out, his humility as a human being, him as a person. Again, come from, obviously come from a good home, was extremely fit, extremely powerful. And what I liked about Ollie was he could, he had a power shot off both feet. So we, you know, what he was going to do? Like he's going to do his little lollipop, push it onto his left. And absolutely bang it. But the thing is, like I said about timing at the start of our, our, our chat, when things are going for you and you get and that run, Ollie just always seemed to find that moment. But when he came inside, he hit it. He'd find the corners, you know, off his left, off his right. And um, I think he'd probably agree with me. In that year there, I was a good sort of foil for him in terms of like, I'd be the point man. I'd be the pivot up front in the mid, in a playing down the middle and he'd off the left. And people could sort of use him as a wall. So he was he'd always be coming onto the play and and producing, you know, off, you know, some some decent layoffs or or some battling away. So I, I I'd have to put him in there just for his potential and um obviously the potential he's showing now. And to be fair, that year he he actually he produced, man. He was he was hot. And uh I'm not surprised he's gone on to sort of do 
what he's doing now just because of his work work ethic and his physical and his physical attributes. Where was that? You, Again, was it at Brentford. From a... no, we played at Exeter. Oh, he was together. Exeter as well. Yeah, he went to Exeter. So he got a move to Brentford and obviously stepped up again, ripped it up at Brentford, then obviously got a big one to big one to Aston Villa. Yeah. But I don't think I don't think it was ever in doubt that he was going to be one to kick on. He was always he was always one to be um to be yeah, producing, fair. yeah. So what are you doing next? Are you doing your right winger or striker? Ooh, right wing. Right wing is tough, man. Who could I throw in on the right wing? No, you know, it's nothing's like nothing's standing up out right now. Hmm. You might have to do a job out there, might you? Gosh. Well, to be honest with you, right? Me, I played right wing forward. That's why I played a lot of my games, and that was where I felt my best. It's only after injury and um, you know. A manager having to make me run back and double up where I, where I was unable to sort of, sort of um, you know, play to my best because they're always getting you to do defensive work, which means I was always tired getting on the ball. But when I played right wing under Mark Robbins at Rotherham, and he was literally saying, "Ruben, just cheat, and stay up front and save your energy," the world was my oyster. So, Ruben Reed under Mark Robbins as a right wing forward forward was a threat, big time. And um, so yeah, yeah let's cool. chuck me in there. That seems a bit that seems a bit egotistical, which I'm absolutely not. But you know, I'm running out. I, I can't think of any. I to be honest with you, I can't think of a better option, mate. If you trust yourself, you trust Ruben. yourself, don't you? Hey, and central striker, another big character. I'm going to put in a guy who left his mark on me. You, some guys might remember him. Was a guy called Shefki Kuchi. Oh, yeah, or Shefki Shefki Kuchi. Big Albanian slash Finnish madman. Would that have been at West Brom? Introduced me to coffee. No, that was older. Older, because he was at West Brom as well, wasn't he? Oh, no, he was Newcastle afterwards. Newcastle just before. Where did he make his name? Ipswich. Ipswich, um, that's off, yeah. But then he played with Dickoff. He played with Paul Dickoff at a club. That's how they knew each other. Where was Dickoff? Dickoff, was it? Man Maybe City? it might have been Derby. It might have been Derby. Yeah. So Big Shefki turns up, right? I kid you not, Chuchi, the worst player you'd ever wish to see, right? Terrible, mate. Uh, get him in a keep ball. You don't want him to play. Yeah, I'm just looking at him now. Chef Wednesday, Ipswich, Blackburn, he played together. So played in a good Blackburn team, then Crystal Palace, Ipswich, Fulham, Swansea. So we're talking a solid, a solid player, right? But and training, honking. Can't kick the ball properly. Can't keep the ball and keep ball. Finishing in finishing drills, not great. But mate, you get him on a football field in an 11 v 11 and knock it up to him. Oh my. An absolute handful. And I'll put him in there just for him. You can you can YouTube this. I kid you not. He'd do the swan dive when he scored, right? I kid you not. Got two good stories about Shefki, actually. When he scored on his debut, that swan dive, I, I, I literally not, you, I cannot even tell you how high he is in the air. Like, that man could do high jump Olympics and then literally land on his belly. 
but you have to get the clip up, Shefki Kuchi celebration. And to give you a bit of um an idea of what Shefki was like, I remember a ball came over the top. And um I'm running in on goal, Walsall away, I'll never forget it. Walsall away. And I'm thinking, right, I'm just gonna roll this in the corner. And um, because I'm clear on goal now, I'm clear, I'm running through to the keeper, rolls in the goal. Mate, someone slide tackles me. Like barge slide tackles me, and I'm on the floor eating grass. All of a sudden, Chef Gikuchi runs in and smashes it into the net. Mate, my own teammate, Shefki, right? How selfish he was and how aggressive. He's only ran, sprinted behind me. This how hungry he was to score. Booted me out of the way, took the goal and just smashed it in the net. And he said, nah, nah, nah. I wanted the risk. And his only excuse was, I wanted the responsibility. It was mine, mine. I just remember shouting, mine. And uh, yeah, Sly tackled his own teammate just to score, mate. <laughs> so he was, um, but again, he, um, he was a big, big personality and somebody um, who, you know, left a lasting impression on me. So, um, yeah. Hey, I found a right winger for you, mind. Go on. Just, just now we're talking about Shefki. Um, there's a lad, yeah. It's, it's, um, he's popped into my brain now, mate. I've played with too many players. I'll put, I'll put on, I'll put in there Felipe Moray. Even though he played, yeah, Felipe Moray. Where was he? Barnsley. I remember him at Barnsley. No, Philippe, Philippe Murray played in Scotland. Then he came to Oldham, and um, this he, he'd been at Chelsea, so he come from at Chelsea. And this was just a kid. Like, yeah. when I talk about timing and ability, and not everybody pays where they, they deserve. Not only were did we become good mates, he was probably we had a lot of time nights out together, wild nights out together. And when I'm talking about drinking nights out, not only was he a good player. When I'm talking about the old the bevies, wow. When I'm talking about the old fisticuffs, when it gets sticky, I'm talking wow. So a fiery Portuguese lad. And um, this guy had all sorts in his locker. I'm talking like flip flaps, chops, ability, just pure madman, just with ability. And just, you know, he just goes to show, like I look at someone like him and just think, how have you, like what must a level be to be like, even though I know what the level is, to be like why you've played like you you'll be remembered as like a League One sort of a League One player when you've got, you know, everything in like I mean, for someone like that, if you played in Chelsea for a number of years, you wouldn't be surprised just because and played international football just because of what he's got in his locker, you know? Um yeah. but then you obviously you look you look at off the field antics and personality, you know, a lot goes into it, into making it. So I'd be happy with that, Dean. There's a lot of there's a lot of wrong ones in there. There's um, there's um, there's a few others I failed to mention. You know, there was a couple honourable mentions. I remember like there's a lad at Wrexham, Luke Young. I love playing with Luke Young. He's at Wrexham now doing well, but he's another kid. I just thought like he had so much ability. You know, couldn't run, wasn't physically great, wasn't good on the eye, but just football ability, just, just lovely, lovely football, and somebody who I connected with well on the football field. And someone like him, I actually he's probably one player who I reckoned if we went out invariably week to week on a football field, I would do well playing with someone like a Luke Young because he's just giving you the ball. Like he's facing the dugout and he's reverse whipping it into your feet, like safe side, setting you up. Good set piece taker, and you're just just a joy to play with, really. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, thanks for that. Well, just quickly, are any of them looking for a game? <laughs> Buddy, how much are you paying? Well, this is it. This is it. It's, got, it? To be, it's got to be worth their while, isn't it, man? Um, I man, remember like you said, asking me that when I was trying to get you on the podcast. To be honest with you, Nicholas, I'm not a... um. I'm not much of a football fan, am I? I'm a cricket man. I'll have a few cricket games with you in the summer if we get a club. But with the football, you know, I'm um, you know, football is it's too hard, isn't it, man? Running around, yeah. You know, and you got to play with you got to play with rubbish players as well. And lads, lads with a lot of big egos and lads that think they're a lot better than what they are. You know, it becomes quite frustrating. But um, I'll tell you what, I am as my days at the the sort of higher levels wind down, I am beginning to sort of appreciate and enjoy it um enjoy it a lot more so you know you might wessex 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 may see me yet oh trust me we will (laughs) but yeah but yeah i get like trust me like i i i I can only dream of playing at the sort of the level you have but you know even even playing at amateur level when your legs go and the bat goes (laughs) and the hip trust me you miss it you miss that yeah in the rain. I've had a, you know, I sound like um a Scrooge man, but I've had a really good run. You know, I'm like coming up to twenty years. You know, professionally, the, the years fly by in mind, and um, you know, you do, you do actually learn to feel how, you know, how how grateful and how much you, and what you've actually gained from the game as a um, as a person, really. And you know, it it gives a lot, but also at the same time, what people don't realize is how much it takes. You know. And it takes a lot, you know. I've I spent the majority of my years rehabbing, you know, out of contract at times, rehabbing, you know, family issues. A lot goes into it. What people all people see is a Saturday. And what I always tell people is being a footballer's got, you know, Saturday's the easy thing. You know, the chance you going through on goal or, you know, stepping up to produce on a Saturday, that's just a juice for me. Like that's what you enjoy. Uh, the football's through the weeks, man, the football's, am I going to be selected? Why are people hammering me? Why does my, why does my hamstring feel like it's going to hang off? Why it's going to fall off when I, you know, when I've got a sprint and the people don't see that side of it, um, which is the unfortunate thing. They just see the adulation and, you know, the glory. That's the only thing that I, um, I'd like to get, get across to people. Yeah. But it's, but I've had a good run, man. I can't complain. Well, we've got a good physio department at Wessex. We'll look at what I say physio department. We've got this bag, right? And it's got it's got a couple of sprays. One of them's a bit hot. One of them's a bit cold. But they tend yeah, to do. You got, you got the oranges at halftime, yeah? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. That because that works, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I tell you what. Before before we wrap it up, one one final question. Go Any on, regrets? Anything you do differently? So much. I think one line that would stay with me was Ian Holloway. So he said to me, you can be, he said, he named four strikers that he'd had. Three strikers, sorry. Um, They're all at Bristol Rovers. You can probably guess who they were. He goes, they've all gone on and made a lot of money. And he said to me as a kid, you know, he said this in front of my dad because I was messing around. Like I was wild, mate, wild, picking fights with everybody. But I didn't know how to behave in a football environment. And he just said, you will be a multi-millionaire by the time you're 26. And um, 
He said, the only thing with you, I think the penny's going to drop too late. And I do believe the penny did drop too late. So I just tell people now, yeah, I'll, I'll just stick with being a millionaire, not a multimillionaire. So yeah, it's all good, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's more to the point where like, my behavior and my my um dedication to my craft, as in my fitness and my physicality, you know, I I I went out too much. I didn't train hard enough. I um I messed about too much to really, you know, get into those those levels of earning like late doubles, like your twenties, twenty fives, thirties, you know, to really like put some real big big money behind you. And you know, I missed out on that because I just I messed around too much. Yeah. But. Listen, man, it's I'm like not... I, you know, I, I tell that to my to my players. I I, I got some <laughs> idiots, right? They stay up till two o'clock in the morning playing FIFA with can't each other before before a big game. Can't do it, mate. No. I look at it this way, right? I'm blessed. I'm not even a footballer, mate. I'm a cricketer at heart. I've winged the whole thing. So if <laughs> I can do it, anyone can do it. Because I I'll be I was rubbish, mate. But I managed to carve myself out a decent ish living in career you know and I've been able to make some good investments and look after my family so um, but I'll tell you one thing for sure my regrets is I'd rather be turning out for West Indies than the football career I had you know so there are some regrets yeah. but you know in a parallel no. in a parallel I universe think... I, I'm playing up front for you know Man United or you know opening the batting for batting number three for West Indies at Sabina Park you know you just it is what it is when I look back Still not 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 a best uh, second prize, is it? No, no. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm just gonna give a quick shout out to our sponsors as a just a thank you for for everything they do for the club. First off, Continuum for all your all your financial backing. We've got Adam James Photography, Auto Sheen Mobile Valets, and a recent sponsor added JHW Auto Electrical. So yeah, thanks to to all the sponsors for. For everything you do and yeah to wrap it up rubes thanks for joining us on the podcast mate thanks for having me nick i hope it was um you know it was a insightful listen um I, i'm no. sorry nick when have you ever called me nick nicholas i just said nicholas oh did you nicholas church <laughs> um yeah thankfully this will get you off my back for a few days let alone weeks or months um so yeah i'm in some credit now um I'll come down and put a session. Actually, I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that, should I? Because you'll hold me to it now. You, you, you've um, already said it, mate. Right. So yeah, I'll um try and meet the boys and see what you're all about. And actually, I'll assess you how good good at what you do as a manager. I see. Well, the league, I've seen the league table speaks for itself. Well, that's nice to know. <laughs> um, I'll have to. I'll have to come and judge for myself. But yeah, thanks for having me. And um, obviously appreciate the chat. Um, I wish I could give so much more with a bit of prep. But I think, like I said, man, hopefully um, someone enjoys listening to this. And um, we may do it again yet. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thanks again, mate. Thanks for your time. And um, yeah, we'll see you soon. And uh, out to all our listeners, keep listening, keep subscribing. Up the Wessex.